You guys ready for the word this morning? Well, last week we started a new series called Authentic. We're going to talk about how to live as an authentic follower of Jesus. This series will be about six parts, and we're actually going to be going through the book of James. Now, every year, about once or twice a year, I like to preach through a book of the Bible. Our authentic series will be going through the book of James. And I hope that it will inspire your faith by inspiring your action. The book of James was written uh, by a man named James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And earlier in the life of Jesus, though, James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Actually, in John 7, it says that many of his brothers did not believe this about Jesus. But after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, James became a true believer and a leader in the church in the area of Jerusalem. So he's really, he's a leader in the Jerusalem church. Now, the book of James is a letter, and this letter isn't written to a specific church, like we see a lot of Paul's letters, but his letter is to a group of believers in the area of Jerusalem that have faced a lot of persecution, uh, faced a lot of difficulties, and this is a letter to them. Now remember, the church of Jerusalem has been scattered all around the, the, the area of Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And so James most likely wrote this letter uh, prior to 50 AD, and so many scholars uh, would, would agree that James is likely one of the earliest texts written in the New Testament. Some might say Galatians, but it's, it's right in there. We know that James ended up being martyred for his faith. In other words, he was killed for what he believed. He was killed for being a follower of Jesus. And because of Josephus' writings, Josephus was a historian, a Jewish historian at the time, because of his writings, we know that James was martyred around 62 AD. So we know the book of James, it is quite accurate then that around 50 AD, the book of James was written. And, um, and so this is one of the earlier texts in the New Testament. Now last week, uh, part one, we went through James chapter one where it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because, because of these trials we face, it produces perseverance. And if we persevere, we are made mature, complete, and lacking nothing. So last week we talked about the bench test of the believer. Now when you bench test something, you're going to put it through a series of tests. You might even uh, try to make that device fail so that you can continue to perfect that device. And like we talked about last week, I know we are in a, uh, a, uh, a town of manufacturing, and uh, specifically a lot of car manufacturers in Kokomo. And so maybe some of you that have worked in engineering, you understand the concept of bench testing uh, an item before, to make it perfect before it is mass produced. Well, the bench test of the believer is to help perfect you. The bench test is to find out what areas in us need perfected, need to be made mature and complete, not lacking anything, and the bench test of the believer is suffering. The bench test of the believer is adversity. And so last week we said that adversity actually is what makes us grow. 
So when we face adversity, we, we, now we can have a new mindset about suffering, and that is that adversity is actually an opportunity. It's an opportunity that God is going to grow you from the inside out, that he has put you on his bench, and you're going through the bench test of the believer to make you bigger, better, and stronger. No great leader, no great follower of Jesus becomes great overnight, but it's because they persevered through suffering, and ultimately, hope flows through suffering. No one suffered like Jesus suffered, and yet he is the hope of the world. So that was last week. You can always get caught up at newlifeforkokomo.org. All of our messages are archived online there. But today, uh, part two of our authentic series in the book of James, I want to talk about the perfect mirror. The perfect mirror. Now, now um, my wife and I, we've been married um, 15 years, 15 and a half-ish years, and, and, and I know that like uh, there's been times when like uh, we go shopping for clothes and she says, the mirrors in these dressing rooms, they're just not right. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but maybe you, you've gone, and, and I'm, like, I'm like, I don't know what that means. And so you, sometimes you might go into a dressing room and you look in a mirror and you go, there's no way I look like that. <laughs> and like, like you, you kind of know a quality mirror when you have one. Like maybe, maybe if you're traveling and, and you're in an Airbnb or a hotel and you look in the mirror, like this is a cheap mirror. Because I look huge, <laughs> right? Like, 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 wow, wow, like, that's a bad mirror. A good mirror is one that you look at and you're like, yeah. You feel confident, you feel, I, that's probably, that's what I think I look like, right? So the, a poor quality mirror is going to make you, you know, you get that $10 mirror at Walmart and, it, and you know, it's concave and bent, it makes you look strange. But I want to talk about the perfect mirror. And, and, and maybe this morning, hopefully each of you, before you came to church, I can see y'all. Maybe, maybe you took a look in the mirror before you came. Oh, sorry. I could set a fire with this thing. Look at that. Y'all just look like a room of cats, you know. Uh, maybe this morning you took a look in the mirror to see, you know, how am I doing? Am I ready for church? And, uh, but I want to talk about the perfect mirror and we'll get into that a little bit later in the message. But if you turn in your Bibles with me, if you have them, if not, the scriptures will be on the screen. We're going to still be in James chapter 1, verse 19. And uh, if you would like to look in a paper Bible, you can grab that orange Bible in the seat in front of you and turn to page 825, and that'll take you to James chapter 1. If you don't own a Bible, I want you to take that orange Bible in the seat in front of you. I want you to write your name in it. And that is yours, a gift to you from New Life Church. We believe in the word of God. James chapter 1, verse 19. This is what it says. It says, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. So James is being very specific. He's saying, listen very carefully. Take note. Get out your pen and paper, your highlighter. Underline this. Highlight this. Take very specific note of this. Everyone. How, who? Everyone should be what? Quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. I don't think that, that there is a single modern psychology that can match the advice of James 119. 
I don't think there's any modern psychology that can match this advice that could improve interpersonal relationships. To be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. So James, he's, he's trying to tell us how to have an authentic life, have authentic action as a believer. He's saying, hey, hey, listen, take note of this. You talk too much. You get ang- you're too annoyed. You're too angry. You need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. Because when someone does or says something that would normally provoke or, or a, a quick or angry response, uh, I think that it's important to, to, to pause. <laughs> Don't be so quick to respond. Instead, I think being quick to listen and slow to speak means asking questions so that there can be clarity in the conversation. And this is something that over my years of ministry and, 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 and work in management that uh, I've had to learn that I've, sometimes I've made quick decisions but didn't have all the data. And so sometimes people, hey, what do you want to do about this? I'm like, well, I don't know. I have some questions first. Questions always bring clarity. And questions help communicate that I am listening to you, but I need more data before I can respond. But when we respond too quick, or out of annoyance, or out of anger, good decisions aren't always made. And so, so it, it, it would sound something like this. Uh, when someone comes to you that maybe you would normally be provoked or annoyed by, maybe that first question you need to, you need to ask is, well, first, tell me what you mean about, what do you mean by that? You know, I, you know maybe, maybe that's someone saying, hey, like, hey, hey, you are always a jerk. Okay, well, first of all, um, what do you mean by jerk? Because I, and what I'm looking for is, what specifically did I do makes you feel like I'm a jerk? Well, you, you schedule me on, on days I didn't want to be scheduled, and, you know, and, and, but now, okay, I'm getting data here, okay? Here's another question that I, I would like to ask. Um, what do you mean by always? You said I'm always a jerk, or I'm always inconsiderate, or I'm always ignoring you, I'm always... Uh, you know, favoring that employee over you. What, what, do you. what do you mean by always? And what I'm looking for is to find out exactly how frequently are we talking. Because sometimes when someone experiences a one-time event and they're mad, they say, they use all-inclusive words. You always schedule me on Tuesdays, and I never, I never want to be scheduled on Tuesdays, whatever it may be. Okay, well, tell me, tell me what you mean by always. And well, okay, now I'm getting more data. So this is, this is being slow to speak, but quick to listen. Asking probing questions to, to gain understanding. Being quick to listen is really about gaining understanding. Instead, because you could be, quote, quick to listen and say, okay, I'm going to listen first. But you can listen and not understand. You could already have a preconceived idea of how you're going to respond to somebody that's maybe annoying you or, or confronting you. And by doing so, you're really not changing the end result. You've already decided what you're going to do if you just listen. But listen, he's saying, but really understand. And so my, my, my life hack for you is if you really want to be a good listener, 
ask good questions. If you want to make better decisions, then you need more data. Well, I can't respond until I have more information, so why don't you tell me what you mean by that? Why don't you tell me what you mean by always? Why don't you tell me how that made you feel, and why don't you tell me what, how you would rather have heard it? Gain understanding, slow to speak, quick to listen. Ecclesiastes 7.9, this is how it says it. It says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Sometimes when we're traveling, we might get a meal to go, and, uh, and so we, we may even eat it in the car, which is actually my least favorite thing to do. Uh, I, I don't, I'd rather be like, let's just take the extra 20 minutes and like sit down and eat, and then we leave all their trash with them and not in the car. Like it, it's my least favorite thing to do. But, but sometimes we just have to, right? If we need to get somewhere, we're traveling somewhere, we have timelines, we'll eat in the car. So sometimes, you know, so Jenny, you know, she's, she's getting everybody's food out, she's passing it around, and and she's like, hey, here are your fries. Do you want me to hold on to them until you're ready? I'm like, uh-uh, right in my lap. I'll keep those fries right in my, why? Because if it's in your lap, quick access, baby, right? I can drive, I can eat my fries. Quick access, I, I, you know, so, so I, I mean, yeah, you know, I've got it all right there. Quick access, baby. Well, in Ecclesiastes, the writer says, don't be quickly provoked in your spirit. For anger resides in the lap of fools. In other words, a fool anger is right there. Anger is, is, is easily accessible to them. And, and so be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to listen. So in your lap is easily accessible. James continues, James uh, in verse 21, it says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you listen it is so so important to be an authentic believer an authentic follower of Jesus that we have to get rid of of the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent listen there is it is it is easily accessible to, to get your life into the muck of immorality in our world. We live in a day and age where immorality is celebrated, immorality is encouraged. But an authentic follower of Jesus is about getting rid of the things that Jesus died for. And it would be a false, so, so whatever, the, whatever the opposite of authentic is, maybe fake, whatever that, whatever that synonym is, the opposite of authentic believer is one that confesses Jesus but doesn't get rid of the filth. That want, want Jesus but want sin at the same time. An authentic believer is one that says, that recognizes I have to get the filth out. And here's the thing, it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer, we have to constantly, the, the scripture says, die to our flesh daily. So it's not like, well I died to my flesh when I accepted Jesus. Yes, but it's a daily work. So hopefully today I'm working on things in my life and I, I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, 
going through maybe the, the more fine things in my life and continue to try to perfect and continue to try to get the, the filth out. Now, when I was first saved, when I was a young man, finding the filth was pretty easy. Okay, don't do that. Don't do, I, need to, I need to change my friends. I need to change where I go. I need to change what I do. But we constantly need to be filtering the things in our life and being moved towards holiness and righteousness. So, so a Christianity that says, yes, have Jesus, but keep that lifestyle is, is not authentic. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. It's prevalent. And then humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And then this is what, this is what he says, uh, and this is so, so, so good. So lean in. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. When my, when my kids were little, I, I had a common saying that I said with them all the time. I, I, you know, I might give them an instruction. Hey, pick up your toys. Okay. And then, uh, then what happens, parents? We turn around and, hey, the toys, man. Pick, I asked you to pick them up. So a common saying that for years that, that I just used over and over with my kids was like, say okay and obey because okay is what you say but obey is what you do uh, and, and here's the thing it is about uh, not just listening to the word and being deceived but doing what it says a little bit of an amen might be good right there <laughs> do what it says authentic believers we're talking about being authentic. Don't just listen to sermons. And don't just read their devotions. Don't just have Christian education. And we all should. Authentic believers do what it says. It's action. And James's entire letter emphasizes this saying right here that it is about action over profession it's about deeds over creeds and we'll get there here in a couple chapters james will say you show me your faith i'll show you mine by what i do and some might say man pastor are you preaching a works-based salvation i would say absolutely not we are all saved by grace through faith, so that no one can boast about what they did. But listen, listen, listen. Works is definitely a part of your salvation. But listen very closely to me before you get me wrong. We don't work for salvation, but we certainly work from salvation. Because when you get saved, we are now called unto something. We're called to follow Jesus. And the words of Jesus is to follow and to keep my commandments and to do. He says, go into all the world. It is a, we have a doing kind of faith. We are active followers of believer. Because it's an action over profession, deeds over creeds. We should have creeds. We should have profession of faith but it leads somewhere. 
So we're not saved, we're not, we don't work for salvation. But when we got saved, that wasn't the finish line. That was the starting line of a brand new life, a brand new way of living, an action that is now to be taken place. And it's simply called obedience and following Jesus. So James' entire letter uh, that emphasizes this authentic life of a believer and the consistent message is do it. Take action. Go and do it. Live it out in your life. That's a good place to say amen, everybody. Do it. Do what it says. Maybe you've met a follower of Jesus in your life. And they listen, to, they listen to sermons in their car. They listen to sermons when they mow. They listen to worship music. They can quote scripture left and right, but they live in like hell. But they're in the break room at work and they're gossiping about their boss. They're rebellious against their employer. And it's just like, no, 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 listen. You are now officially what James called deceived if you don't do what it says. You're deceiving yourself. I think we got to stop deceiving ourselves. We actually have to put in action the things that we have learned, the things that we know the scripture says. We have to go and do it. I would tell you that years ago that I got tired of being spirit-filled in a church service and I wanted to start being spirit-filled in my life, in my neighborhood, at my job, with my family, out in the world. Because I think we can do a really good job at teaching you how to be spirit-filled in a service. And then we develop a church that is about, well, spirit-filled means it's a style of church. Style of church doesn't change the world. Spirit-filled believers change the world. And in the, in the birth of the church, when the Spirit fell on the church and filled people with the Holy Spirit of God, it was for a reason. The reason for the infilling of the Holy Spirit was to be on mission for the work of God. It was the power it took to live. In other words, it was the power to have the action of being an authentic believer. It's the Holy Spirit. So I reached a point in my life where I'm like, I'm really tired of being spirit-filled in church. I want to be spirit-filled out there. And when you try to figure out how to live spirit-filled out at the workplace and in your neighborhood, you'll realize you actually don't act like you acted in here. <laughs> you have to now bring it into a real-life context. Now, now, now you have to be spirit-led and spirit-filled at the same time. You know, we say spirit-filled, and we think loud, and we think exciting, and we think charismatic, we think altar calls, and I love all those things. They've all marked and changed my life, but it didn't help me out there. What helped me out there was truly, authentically being filled with the Holy Spirit and power, and now the Holy Spirit has given me words to speak. He's given me the boldness to speak, the boldness to encourage, the boldness to, to, to reach out and connect with people. That's what we need. We need action over profession, deeds over creeds. And I'll tell you this, if you really want to take action out in your world, then you need the Holy Spirit. You need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
Peter, before he had the Holy Spirit, he denied Jesus to a little girl. Hey, aren't you one of, didn't I see you with him? Not me, must have been someone else, I don't know. And the third time, he cussed the girl out. That's how weak his faith was. It wasn't mature and complete yet. After Peter received the Holy Spirit in that upper room, Peter went out into the streets and preached a message that he could have been killed for. Why? What was the difference? The Holy Spirit gave him boldness. Holy Spirit gave him strength to, to run in circles in a church. No. <laughs> Actually, to just live and take action in the world. I want to be a spirit-filled church that is spirit-filled and spirit-led, and it's not a style. It's a life of authentic living, of taking action and bringing Jesus to the, to the lost and those that need hope and the destitute. I want to see where, 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 where neighbors are reached because they're living next to a spirit-filled, authentic believer in Jesus. And that means it's not weird. It's just real. Like, like years ago, we taught people how to be weird and called it spirit-filled. And I will tell you that sometimes God does things that you go, huh, I don't get it, but it was real. Listen, I don't chase weird. I chase real. It's got to be the real thing, and if it's real, then real lives experience real change. And we are called to a real, authentic walk with Jesus. And I don't need you to, be, to act a certain way in here, but I need you to act like an authentic follower of Jesus in every area of our lives. We need authentic followers, spirit-filled married people, spirit-filled parents raising spirit-filled kids that are living spirit-filled lives at Chrysler, at GM, at Borg Warner, at Eastern, at uh, Western, Northwestern, at Kokomo, at all of our school campuses, we have spirit-filled believers that are not torn down by the darkness of this world, but are a mighty force of God in our city. And that's not weird. That is authentic. That is action over profession and deeds over creeds. Now, I got a little preachy right there. James chapter 1, verse 23. Here's the thing. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Sometimes I like to forget what I look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed for what they do. Because the thing about a mirror is a mirror reflects our image back to us. I'm going to try not to blind you, but I don't know if you can see yourself in this mirror without me blinding you with these stage lights. But a mirror, ref it reflects our image back to us, and it shows all, all maybe the parts of us that are ungroomed like maybe sometimes Jenny says you miss a spot and I always when I shave I always miss a spot right here and I don't know how I don't see it uh, but but she's always quick to let me know you miss the spot you know um, 
And, and sometimes uh, it, uh, when I, I, I see my reflection, I say, you know, I, I realize that, you know, I have this mole on my forehead right here that for many, many years I never knew what was there. I said, oh, this must be new. Then I realized it's not new. Just my hairline has now receded back, and now I found out that I have... You know, a mirror uh, can show you all the areas where maybe you're imperfect. And, 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 and the mirror is so that then you can groom yourself. You can get that poppy seed out of your front tooth. You can groom your beard. You can straighten your hair. You can do your makeup just right because the mirror reflects the areas that might need to be groomed to be more presentable. James says that... Uh, Anyone who looks, listens to the word, but then doesn't do what it says is like someone that looks in the mirror then walks away forgetting what they look like. Uh, my youngest son, Gray, has this thick hair that I wish I still had, you know, and some mornings he walks out from his bedroom, and I say, hey, have you looked in the mirror yet? Because his hair will be standing straight up. I mean, it was, it's standing so straight up that you think that it was done purposefully. I mean, he has the ability to have some of the best and worst bedhead you can ever imagine. It's really quite a skill that he has. And I'll say, you haven't seen yourself in a mirror yet, have you? He goes, no. I'm like, can you feel this thing waving off the top of your head? And, uh, and so I'll say, you need to go look in a mirror. You need to go look in a mirror. Listen, believers of Christ. Some of you got to look in a mirror. Some of you got to look in a mirror because you left your house this morning and you're a little ungroomed. Some of you need to look in a mirror because you, you, you've been going to work and you're a little ungroomed. You've been, you've been going around in the marketplace, you've been interacting with your in-laws and your family members, and you're a little ungroomed. And what you need is you need a new mirror because the mirror you're using is broken. It's... it's, 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 it's it's warped. I don't know. You need the perfect mirror. The perfect mirror is going to show you all the areas of your life where you're yet to be, that where you're ungroomed. The perfect mirror is going to show you the ungroomed areas of your life that's called sin. And that, that image that's going to reflect back on you from the perfect mirror is going to show you the areas of your life where, where you, need to, you need to go do some work. And you need to get that sin out of your life, and you need to be perfected. Because failing to use the mirror properly is to look into it, forgetting what you look like, right? Well, if you don't look into the perfect mirror, and if you don't do what the mirror says, then it means that you look in the mirror, it means you listen to sermons, it means you do your daily devotions, and then you leave that moment and change nothing about your life. That's what it means to look in a mirror and forget what you look like. You need the perfect mirror. Here's what the perfect mirror is. The word of God is the perfect mirror. It's the perfect mirror. The perfect mirror won't lie to you. The perfect mirror shows you your flaws so that you can groom it, you can change it, it's not going to dress it up. There's no filters on a perfect mirror, ladies. There's no filters. It shows you what's real. It shows you what parts of us need groomed. 
So this morning, um, so, so let's continue on the, this, this last part of, uh, that we're going to talk about in James, and then we're going to take a look into the perfect mirror based upon the scriptures we looked at this morning. James chapter 1, verse 26 now. It says, those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. And their religion is what? Worthless? James, chill out, dude. No, he's being very serious. He's saying, I'm talk- he's talking about authentic believers here. You don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourselves. Your religion's worthless. He, then he says, but religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Wow. So now, let's take a look into the perfect mirror. So let's, let's, let's take a quick look at the perfect mirror, and, and this would be maybe, like, if, you, if you're wondering, okay, where do I start? Well, let's start with some of the things that James is talking about. If you want to challenge your authentic walk with God, let's start with some of the things we just talked about today. Let's take a look into the perfect mirror. Here are some first steps for authentic living. The first one, uh, I would say, pay attention to those around you and listen. Remember verse 19, it said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. To do that, you need to have a new mentality and that is an other's first mentality. Our Savior was a servant. He came to save the lost. He served his way to the cross. So if you really want to challenge your authentic living, then you need to, then you need to have an other's first mentality. Maybe you need to serve your spouse with more purpose than you have been. Maybe, you, maybe when you show up to work this week, you need to to act as a servant to your employer. I'm willing to do whatever you need, whatever you want it, and the way you want it done. Pay attention to those around you and listen. This takes, wait for it, humility. It takes humility. So in other words, I think a great first step to living authentically for Jesus is we have to be humble. You gotta live with humility. All right, let's take a look into the perfect mirror. Again, don't speak everything you're thinking. Maturity speaks when there is something to say. So don't speak everything you're thinking. And maybe you've heard someone say this, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. And sometimes the those that are quick to speak instead of slow to speak, it's because they're speaking as fast as their mind is thinking. And every thought is coming right out of their mouth. Which means you're not taking time to slow that process down from here to here. You gotta slow this this little journey down so you can process what you're about to say while you're thinking it. Those that are quick to speak, their thoughts are flying out of their mouth. Once it leaves here, you can't get it back in. Slow to speak means sometimes, sometimes you actually have something to say. Sometimes you're just experiencing thoughts. Wisdom is knowing the difference. Wisdom is to say, 
that's not a thought I should say. Wisdom is, this is not the time to say what I need to say. So you need to find the time. So immaturity, immaturity speaks everything that you think. But maturity speaks when you have something to say. I love when I get to spend some time with some more seasoned believers. Some of our, our, our older folks. You know, sometimes when you're in the room with, 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 with someone that is much older than you, uh, you realize they're not, they don't talk as much as the rest of us. Well, what I've learned is when they do speak, it's important to listen. And I love having those men in my life that sometimes you're, you're wondering what they're thinking because you can see they're thinking. But when does these godly men open their mouths, lean in, because it has meaning and purpose. Us younger guys, some of us younger folks, we're in, we need to grow in this area because the moment we're thinking something, people are posting stuff right out of their minds. You gotta slow that data down, that from here to here, right? Slow to speak, quick to listen. Don't speak everything you're thinking, but speak when there's something to say. All right, let's look into the perfect mirror. James says, be slow to become angry. And I think what we see in Scripture over and over again is that curbing your anger is an urgent, urgent matter. Very, very urgent. And I've said this many times, but I think it's worth repeating. That when you experience the emotion of anger, blood leaves your brain and it fills your major muscle groups to prepare for a fight. And in doing so, in anger, these enzymes are released in your brain that reduces your IQ by 20%, 25%, somewhere in that range. The average IQ of, of, an, of an average adult is 100. And when you're mad, you lose 25% of your IQ. You're at about 75. They consider someone to be mentally handicapped at 70. So in our anger, we're this close to being mentally handicapped and we're trying to make important decisions during conflict. This is why curbing anger is so urgent because some terrible decisions have been made out of anger. I've even seen incredible, great godly leaders sometimes make a poor decision because they were too quick to respond and they responded with anger. I've seen people that sometimes as a pastor, when you have to give them feedback and they respond with anger and they say hurtful things because they were quick to respond, they were quick to become angry and ultimately, when, we're, when we live an angry life, we're just stupid. We're just stupid. Physically, mentally, everything. We're stupid. Curbing anger is urgent and urgent matter. All right, let's take a look into the perfect mirror. Align your life to the teachings of Scripture. This means, again, don't just listen to sermons. Don't just listen to worship music. Don't just lift your hands in church. Go and do. Live a life of worship. Live a life that has said, I align my life to the perfect mirror. That I look into the perfect mirror 
my image reflects back and I see some flaws. The perfect mirror. This, that's what the scripture does. When we read the scripture and it says, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. And you look into the perfect mirror of scripture and say, I worry a lot. But the perfect mirror, the word of God says, don't worry. Well, now what? Keep on worrying? No, now, now I say, now, okay, I have an issue of worry. And I need to surrender that to God and I need to get help and I need to go work on that. That's what the perfect mirror does. So it's about aligning our life to the word of God. Not to our feelings, not to the ways of the world, the word of God. All right, let's take a look into the perfect mirror again. James says, those who consider themselves righteous but don't keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So if you want to be an authentic believer in Jesus, guess what? Here's a good thing you should start on. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. I'm not just talking about ignorant speech, like cussing and swearing, and I, and I hope that you would curb those things. But I'm talking about corrupt speech, which would be gossip, slandering others behind their back, being harsh with your words, using offensive language, crude speech, rebellious behaviors. This is, this is uh, 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 not keeping a tight rein on your tongue. And it's probably connected to you speaking everything you're thinking. You, you're probably, the boss, the boss leaves the room, you turn to your, your coworker, and you start telling him everything you think about that, about that person. No, authentic living is someone that can keep a tight rein on their tongue. That means that you can be trusted with information sometimes. It's, it's sad when someone trusts you enough to be vulnerable and shares something deep in their life that maybe they're struggling with, something that they faced, and some people are so excited that they got trusted with that information that they go and share it. That's not keeping a tight rein on our tongue. When we don't keep a tight rein on our tongue, it can't, James says, not me, the word of God says, that your religion is worthless. James has more to say about the tongue and how powerful the tongue is, but we'll get there in the coming weeks. But here, so, so here's the thing. If you want to start somewhere and living authentically, remember, pay attention to those around you. Uh, don't speak everything you're thinking. Curb your anger. Align your life to the scripture. And uh, watch your mouth. And the last one that, we, that James gives us, I think is really good, is, is to serve others. He says, religion that our God our, God, our Father accepts is this. Uh, look after orphans and widows keep yourself from being polluted by the world. I think a good way to think about this is to look after orphans and widows. Here, here's the concept. Do something for others even when they cannot do anything in return. Because if you do something to expect something in return, that's not authentic. But true authentic serving is to serve others in a way that they cannot do anything else in return. Here's what's really interesting. If you would begin to do just that, if you would begin to serve other people that cannot pay you back, do anything in return, if you would begin to do that, you will find that you will actually 
begin to grow with your anger problem. Like, like, like your anger problem will begin to be curbed because you're spending your energy in serving others that are less fortunate, serving others in your life, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, where's my anger going? Where, where, where's my bad attitude going? Serving others will, will actually help you fix your attitude problem, your rebellious problem, your ungrateful attitude. It'll help solve your anger problem if you just serve other people. And ultimately, for us to follow a servant like Jesus, we have to learn to serve. So I think this is a, a, a quick look into the perfect mirror. There's many, many things, but just here from James that we looked at, these are some great first steps to take an authentic living. Now let me ask, are you ready to do it? Are you ready to do it? We all heard the word, but let us not be deceived and leave this place and forget what we look like. But let's move from here and take action. Would you stand with me as I pray? Father, we thank you that we have your word, the perfect mirror, and it reflects to us our image, and may we not put the mirror down because we didn't like what we see, but may we see our imperfections and say, okay, God, help me groom that area of my life. I pray that New Life Church would continue to walk in action, walk in deeds, to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray for people in this room that maybe this morning during the message they realize that they have a need in their own life. Maybe there's a, a struggle. Maybe there's a, a, a tendency in their life that they recognize that the perfect mirror is saying, this is a tendency you need to work on. God, I pray that you would give them the strength and the courage to, to work in the areas of our lives where we are weak. As your word says that where we are weak, you are strong. You'll give us the strength. Make us whole again for your purpose, for your glory. And now, God, as we dismiss, Lord, we just, now we believe that this service is concluded, but church has now begun because the church has left the building. We're ready to go and do, in Jesus' name, amen.